0: Good morning, everyone. Take a moment this morning to reflect on the fact that today's gospel passage basically tells the story of the first papal election. It was that day that Jesus chose Peter to be the first pope. But look at the way that it is presented or reported to us. Matthew who wrote the Gospel was arguably an eyewitness because he was a disciple, but he's writing this passage about 40 years later. We believe the event may have taken place in the early 30s while Matthew wrote his Gospel about the year 70. But then looking at all of Peter's speeches and his writings, all we really have are a couple of letters. Everything else that we know about what Peter said or did is reported to us by Paul or by Luke in Acts or by the other gospel writers. All these in the same way written much later after the events. Now, let's fast forward about 1,500, or actually about 1,950 years, to the year 1978. Many of you were alive, the election of Pope John Paul II. And the fact that this is the time that internationally broadcast around the world the election of a pope when this young Polish cardinal now pope came out on the balcony no one knew who he was but he was so young and so engaging and so affable and charming and charismatic the media loved him there were news reports magazine covers The Pope was all over the world. And even though the media didn't always like what he had to say, you could not escape the fact that during the time of his pontificate, John Paul II was a superstar, traveling around the world, young, energetic, challenging in his speech and all that he did. Then fast forward a few more years to the year 2013 when Pope Francis was elected as Holy Father. Of course, the media still reported it. There was so much anticipation leading up to the conclave. But you may remember, if you saw shots of people in St. Peter's Square. They all had their iPhones and their iPads up, filming the Pope's first words and broadcasting it via social media throughout the entire world. And then now, since his election, Pope has a Twitter account. Their social media, blogs, every little thing that the Holy Father does is reported around the world and commented on meticulously by millions of people. And so out the, throughout the 2000 now, more or less, years of the papacy, if we study the history of the church, we can see that the papacy has gone through a number of changes. It's transformed and grown throughout the centuries, both internally and externally. But probably there is nothing that has changed the papacy as much as the advent of the mass media. That's why I bring up those three instances I mentioned at the beginning of the homily. The mass media, the way that we report on the Pope, on the Pope's election, everything he says, particularly in social media, not just in the mass media, is something that has really transformed the papacy. And the reality is, a lot of times, Catholics have not really given a lot of time to think about this. If you go and Google this topic, you're not going to find a lot of articles. And so indeed, the mass media, social media, has changed the way that the Pope's function. The need for a press secretary to issue press reports, to have a social media presence, to be media savvy. This is all true. It's changed the papacy. But what I want to focus on is what's really changed is not so much the papacy, but our perception of the papacy, and who the Pope is and what his role or function in the world should be. That's what's really changed, and that's what I like to focus upon. And the truth is, for the most part, it's been something very, very positive. Because of the mass media and the advances in communication and technology and social media and the internet, the Pope can use these tools to really proclaim the gospel in a way he never could before, so much more rapidly and to so many more people. And the Pope's presence, either on the TV or the internet, regardless of what he says, emboldens the faith of millions of Catholics. Also, very importantly, because of this mode of communication, the Pope can really now be effective as sort of a moral conscience in the world, encouraging care for the poor and political change and peace. And the truth is, as I repeat again, there's no way we can go back. There's no way the Pope can retreat back into the Vatican and only issue statements every once in a while. He is a public persona, and this is a good thing. But if we're going to be realistic, we are also going to admit that the advent of mass media and social media also presents challenges not only the function of the papacy but our perception of who the pope is so i'm very very clear i am not here criticizing the pope our pope past popes are popes in the future nor am i trying to tell the pope how to do things or to be his communication advisor not at all the media is relatively new or at least the mass media is relatively new in the church's 2,000-year history. And so the papacy is going to have to continue to acclimate as technology and communication continues to advance. But we have got to face the challenges today and in the future for the way it affects our perception of the papacy and the expectations we put on a pope. The first way, and I think this is just the same with politicians. We saw this so much over the course of, let's say, the past 10 to 15 years. The coverage in the media can lead us to expect that the Pope and other such public figures are going to be messiahs. They're going to cure all the ills in society. They're going to take care of all of the problems. It gives us hope, but quite often a false or inflated sense of hope, driven by the hype in the media, which is intended to get ratings, which is intended to drive profit. So we have this idea, or have had an idea, that the curia is going to change. The Vatican is going to become more efficient. There are going to be mass conversions. People are going to line up for confession. All the poor people are going to be fed. All the unjust governments are going to topple. And peace is going to come into the world because of this one man. But as we heard in today's gospel, Jesus is the Messiah, not Peter. Jesus is the Savior, not the Pope. It is simply not possible for the Pope or any person to do this, and even more, it's not in the Pope's job description. To be the Messiah is in Jesus' job description. So we can have some inflated expectations that the media and the mass media produces in our own minds. The second, and this is a much more intricate topic and one that I really wanted to focus on primarily today, but I realized it would be just too intricate and delicate to talk about in the course of a 15 to 20 minute homily, is that it can lead to and has led to confusion about the notion of papal infallibility. Throughout the history of the church, there has always been a belief that the Pope, when speaking in certain circumstances, has been given this charism of infallibility to lock and unlock with his keys. But it wasn't until 1870 that the church officially proclaimed it as the doctrine of the church. That under very specific circumstances, the Pope, when talking on faith and morals, can speak infallibly. But even back then, some of the great theologians, including blessed John Henry Newman, was concerned about the proclamation. Not because he disagreed with it, he thought that it was true, but because he thought that then and in the future, people might be confused about what it meant. Either conflating infallibility with impeccability, that somehow the Pope would never make a mistake, or thinking that every single thing he said was infallible that every single thing that he uttered was an ex cathedra statement. If he was worried about it then, it certainly is true now. When every single thing the Holy Father says is tweeted, is reported on the blogs, is blared on the media, is in newspaper articles, and we read all of it, and we can be confused to realize that quite often this is not the Pope speaking infallibly. This is not even him exercising what we call his ordinary magisterium. But just because as the pope, we automatically have to believe it. And so it leads to that confusion about what infallibly truly is. And again, I simply don't have time to get into the details of making those distinctions. But the third and final point is the one that I think is the most important. Is the presence of social media and the mass media can and has led us over the course of let's say the past 40 years to treat the pope as a celebrity rather than a shepherd in our minds whether we realize it or not and i've been the first person to be guilty of this to see the pope as a celebrity rather than the vicar of christ on earth the Pope, I don't care who it is, Francis, Benedict, Pope Pius the 15th, in the future, John Paul II is not George Clooney, It's not Brad Pitt. They are not supposed to be celebrities. But before mass media, centuries ago, the Pope would go about his daily life, he could eat, he could make proclamation, he could have meetings, and the majority of the world had no idea what was going on and frankly really didn't care. But now, because of the paparazzi, every single thing the pope does is documented and, 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 and recorded. And so, even then, in the past, things that the pope says were, were reported for months or for weeks. Now you know them immediately, as soon as it was said. And while that can be good, What ends up happening is not just what he says, but more of what he does. The Pope is presented as a celebrity. We chase after them in the same way we chase after movie stars. And so this makes it very, very difficult for us to really hone in and focus on who the Pope is supposed to be and what is important about what he says. And I am telling you right now, please, I am not trying to put the blame on any of the Holy Fathers. But if we're going to be honest, this treatment of the Pope as a celebrity by the media goes back to John Paul II. And I love St. John Paul II. And I do not believe this was his fault. But he was so young and so charismatic and so energetic. He was an actor. He was a poet. The camera flocked to him. Everywhere he went, and for Catholics he became a superstar. It was easy for us to put him on a pedestal and treat him as a movie star or as a superhero, as someone who could do no wrong. We would sell plates with his face on it. He became a media sort of mass marketing uh, tool. And I'm not again saying that he was bad or he intended this But this is what happened and it began this idea for the Pope to be the celebrity. And the reality is that's not who the Pope is and not who he's supposed to be. I remember and again as I said I felt guilty of this in 1996 when I got to go to Rome and the first opportunity we had to see the Holy Father. All the seminarians were gathered, and we were as giddy as the teenage girls waiting to see the Beatles on L- Ed Sullivan in the 60s. It was like a superstar. I'm surprised none of us fainted and started screaming. <laughs> and we were so blessed to realize you could see the Pope. You could go down the hill to the Vatican. We were able to serve at his Mass and to be present to the things that he said. It was such a blessing. But I can tell you, after five years of being there, it became annoying. The way the people flocked after him. You know, one of the things, I'll admit this, and some people might be very mad at me for admitting this, and I'm giving you the, the, the seminarian secrets. People would love to get things blessed by the Holy Father. Oh, can you get a rosary blessed by the Pope? Well, at the beginning, we'd love to go down the hill, and at the end of his angelist message at noon on Sundays, he'd bless everything. But we knew that his intention was to bless everything there, but also, with an earshot, or people could hear him on the radio. So rather than go deal with the crowds and the dooring fans, whatever, we need something blessed, by the time we were there for four or five years, we go to the top of the roof where we could hear what the Pope was saying, put the stuff down, wait for about five minutes, get it blessed, and then go back inside and eat lunch. So if any of you in about the year 99 to 2001 got anything blessed by the Pope for me, that's probably what happened. It's still really blessed. I hate to pop your bubble, but that's what it is. And it's a lesson that I had to learn. The Pope is not a movie star. He's not a celebrity. And so how can we, though, realizing that the issue is with the media and the mass media and our perception, how can we learn to deal with it? Besides realizing the point that I said earlier, it's not going away. There are going to be new forms of communication, new forms of social media. Unless there is a, you know, an EMP released over the Vatican over the course of the next five years, we're still going to be able to see the Pope as a central media figure. So what can we do? The first, and I think is the most important, is to pray for the Holy Father and the popes that come in the, to the future so that they learn how that savvy and that humility to be able to communicate effectively so that they don't become celebrities so the gospel message isn't watered down to a sound bite. They need prayers and inspiration. Number two, and again, this may be sort of nerdy that I'm gonna quote this, but to quote the great sort of critic of communication and culture in the 60s, Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message, which basically means that because the advent of mass media and our mass age. What is not important is the message, but how the message is conveyed. The medium in which it's conveyed, TV, internet, social media, that's more influential than the message. A lot of the times the people get caught up in the medium and how it's conveyed and don't actually understand or pay attention to the actual message. And third and finally, and again, I am in no way, shape, or form advocating, not listening to the Pope. Or not paying attention to the Vatican. But I get a lot of people who have come to me, particularly over the course of the past year, in the realm of politics, saying every time they turn on the newspaper read the newspaper, turn on the TV, there's all this chaos and this fighting and it makes them lose their peace and they get angry. And so my advice is quit doing it. Just quit it. Stop it. Read it once a week, or for five minutes a day, quit letting it disturb your peace because all those things, for the most part, don't impact your day-to-day life. And so, in the same way with the church, you could sit here and write, read about Vatican conspiracies and every single thing the Holy Father says and what he ate for lunch and all the problems in the church, and you could completely lose your peace. I'm not saying don't pay attention, particularly, to the important things that the Holy Father today or in the future says, but maybe sometimes it's nice to live like it's 1700. In 1700, the Pope was still making proclamations and declarations, but you basically lived your Catholic faith on day-to-day level, and it really didn't affect you. Occasionally it might, but his daily homily didn't affect you. The The interview he did in the paper didn't affect you. You just lived your life. That's what's important. If you find this kind of stuff distracting you and losing your peace, regain that peace by focusing on what is important. And it goes back to the ultimate message of the gospel today. We're so blessed to have the papacy, the office of Peter, and have had a century or more of really great, wise, holy popes, theologians, saints. But the fact of the matter is, it's not the pope that matters. It's not the man we need to see beyond them to see Jesus Christ. He is the true shepherd. He is the true Messiah. He is the true Savior. Amen.